Welcome to the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast, where we plumb the daily adventure of endurance sports. Let us seize this precious moment together and squeeze the life from it like a golden lemon sent to us fresh today from the emissaries of the gods. Terribly happy guy Then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie Then he thought that he just couldn't die So Ned, he laughed so hard and made him cry Made him All right, my friends, this is Chris. My weekend got away from me. It's just uh, I have so much to do, and my new uh, my new job with the commute and the situation, I just don't have any time to write or record or edit. And uh, so anyhow, no excuses. I'll keep trying. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to drop this episode with the content that I was able to create, and that would be the intro, the interview, and the outro. I do have a couple of race reports that I owe you that I'll try to knock off as standalone pieces. I got a plan. You know how I am. I got a plan. I'm going to uh, see if I can find a way to write in the mornings on the train because it's about an hour ride if I do it the other way, if I take the commuter rail versus the way I've been doing it, which has been mostly car and subway, and you can't write in the car and the subway, but you can write in the commuter rail. I'm guessing. So we'll see. It'll take me longer to commute and cost more, but it'll give me time in the morning, especially in the morning when I'm fresh. Because after work, I just can't do much of anything with my with my brain. Uh, so anyhow, that's, that's my plan. Enjoy the episode <laughs> for what it's worth. Bye. All right, it's my show. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Run Run Live podcast. My name is Chris. I'll be your host for today. And for that, I am truly grateful. 
I guess you could say I'm your senior citizen of endurance sports today. We've got a lot to talk about. We need to talk. No, seriously. Today's show is going to be chock-a-block with racing and running. I mean, it's that time of year, right? This is the end of the summer training campaign where we push all the chips to the center of the table and we race. We take the test at the end of the term. And sometimes we pass and sometimes we fail. Either way, we learn. And then we slide into the winter solstice of our training. A celebration lap of Thanksgiving races and solstice celebrations. It's the cycle of our endurance lives. And along the way today, between the racing talk, there may even be some other thoughts. I can never be sure once I start writing. In fact, the act of writing an episode for me is a bit like towing the line at a race. I never know what's actually going to happen until I get out there and feel that race. And that's the good part. That's the uncertainty that keeps us moving forward, right? And today we'll have a those couple of race reports probably. And I'll try to squeeze something important out of Eric and his son Zach who ended up running Leadville together and serendipitously finishing together. Pretty cool story. I'm still quite busy with my life. I have raced twice since we last talked. You can hear the birds in the background. I have the doors open in my house. It's because I'm trying to get some air in here before the winter clamps us down. The weather's nice today. Letting a little air through. So I am still quite busy. I have raced twice since we last talked. And I see many of you have raced as well. I see your smiling faces and sweat-shiny bodies sprawled exultantly in the grass of a finish line, exhausted and triumphant. Good for you. You cracked the code. You've sipped from the well of knowledge that is endurance sports, knowledge and experience. And race weeks are actually less busy for me. My workouts are shorter, and they're less intense, and for me... These were local races, so there were fewer logistics as well. Basically, I just had to lay out my kit and set the alarm. And like I said, this is the end of my season. This is the old cadence. Train through the summer, race in the fall, rest in the winter. Now, whether you've made your goals or not, you cycle down. It can be a full-on rest or it can be a change of pace. But you need to cycle to refresh. You can't balance on that edge of race fitness for too long. It's a peak condition, a point on the curve. You have to cycle down and start, in reality, building momentum for the next cycle, the next peak. And the mistake that people make is to load up a bunch of races in a row and just keep trying to execute. And when I do this, I don't know about you, but when I do this, I settle into a sort of fugue state, a mediocre purgatory of performance and enjoyance. Life has rhythms. You need to breathe in and breathe out the physical and mental cycles to get your most fulfillment and best performance. So last episode, I did a pep talk piece on why we should all stop complaining and just show up and race. And I want to make sure that you understand when I do these oratory type pieces in the Roman sense, I am not focused on any specific individual. Actually, I am focused on one specific individual, me. 
Yeah, that's right. When I drop into lecture mode or inspirational talk mode, most of the time I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me. And these pieces are a way of me sorting through my thoughts, my emotions, my fears, to get them down on the paper. And yes, I still write with a pen and a notebook sometimes. In this way, I can tease out the why am I feeling this way and why did I do this stupid thing and what can I learn from this? And I know it feels sometimes like I'm lecturing or I'm talking to you or at you or about you. And I am in a way because the human comedy has the same patterns. So if it resonates with you, that's great. But any similarities to persons living or dead are purely coincidental. On with the show. And now for today's featured interview. All right. So Zach and Eric Strand. So Eric and I have chewed dirt together in a number of races. We had a a lot of fun traveling together and running uh, marathons. That one we did in New Orleans is one of my favorite adventures. It just was a friendly, good time, good food, good people. I really enjoyed that, Eric. That was a good time. And then Grand Rapids was another one, and we bumped into each other in uh, in Boston a few times. Yeah, and uh, Grand Rapids was not so much fun. That was basically the race where I discovered my heart was going sideways on me, and <laughs> took about eighteen months to get back from that. But uh, hey, we're back. But you, your big thing, your signature event, Eric, ha- is and always has been. Well, not always has been for the last few years has been. You know, like my big thing is Boston. That's my signature event. But your big thing is Leadville. But you did something epic this year, which I'm quite jealous of, and it's just a great story, is that you ran your sixth, which is crazy, Leadville 100, and you ran it with, go ahead, tell us what you did, Eric. Well, uh, for some reason, Zach, my son, decided that he wanted to come along this year, and it was kind of funny because I got a friend that was saying, well, when I was bad, my dad just sent me to my room. I wonder what Zach did to deserve this. (laughs) And Zach, how old are you? I'm 28. 28. So you're old enough to know better. Yeah, but as you can tell, stupidity is in the genes. <laughs> so what did you think? Your dad started running seriously about the same age that I did, like sort of a mid-30s thing. And what did you think growing up when you seen your dad running and doing the marathons and the ultras and stuff? How did that impact well, you? What did that do to your, your mindset? Well, growing up, I think he started when he was 39. So it was kind of later. So I thought marathons were stupid. When he was doing grandma's, we would go and watch him do that every year. And that was kind of our event. Never really thought too much of it until a little bit later. So when I noticed, I guess it was once I started running it, it was, wow, what he's doing is amazing. And then when he started doing Leadville, really, it didn't hit me how difficult it was until just talking to other runners <laughs> and them and say, oh, yeah, my dad does Leadville. And they were just blown away by that. So it's kind of come with time and the amazement in it. But you, Zach, have not done a lot of volume. You haven't done a lot of racing. Why did you decide to do Leadville and do it with your dad? What was the thought process there? You know, how did that sneak up yeah. on you? How did that happen? I started, i say my first ultra was last year. Uh, I want to say it was in September. I did a 50-miler, and that just kind of dipped my toes into the pool there. And then um, I guess before that, I had done 30 miles on the Leadville Trail with him. It was just such a fun time, just going. We started at Hope, ran up the top of Hope, turned around, and ran, I think, into to Hagerman. It was just a fun experience. And 
I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but part of me wanted to do it. So it's not an easy race to get into, though. Don't you have to qualify for that race? How'd you get into it? Give you guys a family discount for uh, getting two runners in? <laughs> so Leadville is one of, Actually, the, it's- one of the few, I guess. It's You don't need a qualifier for it. It's all lottery, but I'll let my dad take the, the reins on the rest of that question. You can get in on a lottery, but we both decided to go in on one of the charity entries because they have a charity entry that uh, benefits uh, the kids in the Leadville area, and we thought that'd be kind of a neat way to give back. Oh, cool. That's cool. All right, so I'm going to ask you guys, because this uh, 100 milers just by definition, I mean, even marathons have this emotional arc to them, right? It's a long enough race. You're out there long enough that they have these emotional highs and lows and these physical highs and lows. It's like a journey, right? But when you get to a 50 miler, you know, that journey's now that journey's nine, 10 hours long, and you get lower lows and higher highs and more adventure. But when you get out to 100, that's an epic arc, right? That's just like an epic in the true Norse sense, Eric. So I'm going to ask you guys to walk me through that race from standing at that starting line, shivering at four o'clock in the morning or whatever it is. Walk me through this race and you guys can hand it back and forth as much as you want. And just walk me through the arc of that race because it's really amazing. All right. Zach, you want me to get it started? Yep. So the race starts on a Saturday morning at 4 a.m. in downtown Leadville, 10,152 feet. It's the highest incorporated city in the United States, and there's about 35% less oxygen than what we're breathing close to sea level. And you notice that just as soon as you start running for the most part. So we stayed in Breckenridge, and we drove into town. I think our wake-up calls were about 1.30, a little before uh, 2 in the morning. And you know, walked up to the start, and there's just a tremendous vibe there. And I'm looking at Zach's eyes because this is the first time that he's done this, and you can just see he has no idea of what's coming. But I think he was pretty excited too. So you get started, and you head off into the dark. You're in downtown Leadville, but it doesn't take long for you to be in total pitch blackness. And then you move on to the single track trail that goes around Turquoise Lake. And about the time you get to the first aid station at May Queen at about mile 13, sun's starting to come up, seeing some light over Turquoise Lake. And hopefully you've gotten that far without falling several times. We did pretty good this year. So just kind of fast forward, you go up a a couple of mountain passes. And I remember being at mile 39 and we're at the Twin Lakes aid station. And I look over at Zach, and actually you see this in the video too, and he looks up ahead out through at the mountains, and then you can see his eyes go up a little bit further to the top at Hope Pass where he knows we've got to go next. And I was just kind of wondering, I wonder what's going through his mind right now because that climb up to Hope Pass, you start at about 9,200 feet and you go up to 12,600 feet, and it's just brutal. And Zach is a much stronger climber than I am. So he went ahead a little bit and we ended up having some kind of crummy weather up near the pass, but it cleared up quick. And uh, by the time we got down to the mile 51 mark, we were both at least, I think, mentally ready to turn around. So before I start in the second half, Zach was, what do you recall from the first half of the race? Yeah, right before Twin Lakes. That was when I felt the worst. I think you remember when both my legs locked up when I tripped? So it was like three miles before you got into the Twin Lake Aid Station at 39. And That's pretty early in the race to have uh, have issues. But I know what you mean when you're running like that in a long trail race. And if you stumble or something, when you go to catch yourself, it makes your muscles 
spasm, just the different motion. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, that's why I I run into heat issues. Yeah. So, Zach, do you remember the moment that your father was talking about when you looked up at Hope Pass? I don't specifically remember that one because I did it a lot. Because you can see it from really far out. You know you got to go all the way up there. I know that entire time you can see it. I'm looking at it knowing i got to go right there. So is a race strategy not to look up? <laughs> For me, it's it gives me something to – got to make it there. That's kind of a – if you're feeling bad, then you look at the ground. But Right. Yeah, the main goal is you got to make it there, and you got to make it there twice. So – you don't have a lot of experience with the 100-miler at this point. You're starting to feel bad at 40 miles in. That, you had to start thinking like, oh, shit, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I've, luckily, a few weeks before, we were doing the first half. We were running from lead all the way in to the top of Hope. And I felt a whole lot worse that day. So it kind of gave me the confidence knowing that how I was feeling at Twin Lakes. I'm like, well... Last time I was here, I felt a lot worse than this. So it means I can go a lot further, and I made it to near the top of Hope that day. So, yes, it was scary because it's actually race day, and you just never know how it's going to turn out. But also I had some confidence that I felt worse at this point before. I think there's like a swing in the weather in this race, right? Doesn't it get like hot, then cold, then hot? What was the weather like? So it starts out, you know, it was about 40 degrees at the start, and you know, we had a pretty sunny day, and I suppose it got up in the high 60s or so. It never got terrible, but once we were in Twin Lakes, you could start to feel the heat. And, uh, of course, once you get up to altitude at Hope Pass, it's pretty breezy, and we also had a storm go through, and we actually got grappled upon, and that's like this uh, cross between snow and hail, and uh, they're hitting you at about 40 miles an hour, and they kind of sting a little bit. But then the sun came out, and then when you get to, it gets dark again, the temperatures drop down in the low 30s and high 20s. So you get a pretty big swing. So the hard part of this race, right, is coming back the second time, climbing over. I mean, it's all hard, but the hard part's getting back over Hope Pass the second time, right? Because you got a big pole there. You got, what is that, a 7,000 footer or something, that pole? Well, you start uh, down at Winfield. It's just a little uh, ghost town. It's a turnaround point. And it's a little over 3,000 foot climb, but the challenge is it's the steepest part of the course. It's about a 22% grade on average going up and no yeah. oxygen. And uh, at that point, I started, Zach's is a better climber than I am. I think I can take him on the downhill, at least for now. But when we started coming out of Winfield, I was really struggling. He picked up his pacer, uh, Sean Miller, uh, a Leadville buddy of mine, who's really a super ultra runner. And uh, that climb went pretty good for you, didn't it? It went as well as you could. <laughs> I could have hoped for it to go. I mean, he was pushing me up the entire time. It was a lot faster than I would have expected to be able to do it. I wouldn't say it went well. So watching you guys, watching the recap and watching you guys during the race, it looked like you had sort of left your dad, right? You had sort of gone ahead. And Eric, did you think you were going to catch him again? Or what were you guys thinking about when you got separated like that? And what was well, going on? I was... About 10,000 feet, I started feeling really bad. And I'm just not that great of a climber. I'm good downhill, but going up was rough. And my stomach was starting to turn. I was feeling dizzy. So I knew Zach was up ahead of me. And I was just thinking, man, I hope he doesn't wait for me. I hope he doesn't feel like, because we we didn't really plan to run the whole thing together. It just kind of turned out that we did through the first half. 
but by the time I finally got up to Hope Pass, I suspect that he was probably a good 25 minutes ahead of me. And that's losing 25 minutes really in just about two miles. But once I started heading down again, I started feeling pretty good. So I don't know, Zach, you you didn't stop to look in the rearview mirror at all, did you? I got to the Hopeless, which is the aid station on the Twin Lakes side. It's about, I don't know, a quarter mile to a half mile down from the summit. And I remember looking up and trying to see if you had summited yet because you were wearing your bright yellow shirt. It would have been easy to pick out. And I remember the last thing I did is I looked back and I didn't see it at the summit. So I run down the hill with Sean. And by the time I got to Twin Lakes, I was only ahead of the cutoff by, what, 45 minutes? So I had no idea where you were at that point. So, Eric, were you up against the cutoff? A little bit coming into Twin Lakes, but once I started going downhill, I started picking up time. And uh, my Susan Vickerman, who's my first cousin, is has been a pacer every single year. And uh, she kind of knows what I can do. And she pulled me along going downhill. And I started feeling better once I got down below 10,000 feet. And uh, I kind of knew at that point that I had a good shot at catching them before the end of the race because I, I still had another 40 miles to go. And I thought, I've done this before. I know I can do this. Right. So you knew the course. You knew what you were capable of. So you just keep grinding. So what was it like when you guys ran upon each other? Did you do it in an aid station or did you meet him on the trail? No, he didn't see me for till mile 10 or so. I saw him come in both outbound and May Queen, and I think he missed me both times. So I think it outbound, I was 13 minutes ahead of him. I was like two minutes ahead of him at May Queen. But Dan and I talked at May Queen, his pacer. (laughs) So he didn't know exactly where I was, but I kind of knew exactly where he was at both of those points. Well, that late in the race, you're not actually using your brain for much anyhow, right? Oh, yeah. From about 60 miles on, you're pretty much done. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you guys hook up? When I came out of May Queen, which was 13 miles from the finish, I knew that I was just a few minutes behind him. And I think we met up pretty close to the end of Turquoise Lake. So probably seven or eight miles left to go. Would that be about right, Zach? Really? Somewhere in there. It was before we got to the dam. Yeah. Yeah. I could see Zach up ahead with, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just saying that must have been cool. Yeah, it was really cool. I mean, we ran the first 50 miles together, and then I spent the next 40 miles after that kind of tracking him down, and I just wanted him to finish. But uh, the second thing I wanted was to be able to finish with him if I could, and the third thing would be to beat him, which uh, I did by two seconds, but we don't like to talk about that too much, do we, Zach? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of sprinting going on there at the end of this race. (laughs) <laughs> no, no but, I think um, it, we finished exactly at the same time, but uh, at the very beginning, I think I was just a couple paces behind him, so that uh, counted for the two-second difference. So you guys tied? You didn't, didn't do the hand-in-hand uh, yeah. the, the hand hand hand, uh, finish, the photo finish? Yeah, it was hand-in-hand and hand-in-hand-in-hand because we had uh, all of our pacers and, uh, and Tammy, uh, my wife, along. So, And, you know, I think that that's kind of important because this is – the marathon's different. You do a marathon on your own, but I think Zach would probably agree with me that neither of us would have ever earned any one of our buckles without uh, the uh, the team that we had, the crew and the pacers. It makes a huge difference. So it takes a village. This is my first time ever meeting Sean, my first pacer, and I accredit him with my finish because he helped me gain enough time. And then 
I picked up Suzanne and she just made sure I kept moving. Yeah, because you can't think for yourself. You basically need that person there to think for you. Well, in, in Sean, Zach's pacer, it was kind of a lesson in leadership because he was really pushing Zach and he got him to you know about mile, I don't know, 75 or 77. And at that point, you got a really good shot at, at finishing. So he'd taken him through the toughest part of the night and he basically said, you and I don't need to be friends. My job is to help you get a buckle and uh, right. you know, I'm going to make you do things that you don't want to do. And I'm sure Zach probably wasn't real thrilled with him during his pacing segment, but uh, he's happy he pushed him as hard as he did now. Yeah, I crossed over the line when he made me eat a peanut butter jelly sandwich dipped in ramen noodles. That's, <laughs> I think, think that's what he was referring to. Yeah, yeah. It's like a slice of madness, the high miles in these races. It's like entering into madness for a while. And that's what makes it cool, right? Because you're pushing on the edge of sanity. And not only physically, but mentally is what I'm saying. It's a very surreal experience. Yeah, because you, you lose your mind partway through. Your brain is not working right, but you keep bumping into these other runners that are super encouraging. And you make some great friends out on the trail. It's just a little bit of a different vibe, I think, at the ultras than at the marathons. Indeed. What are your takeaways from this, guys? What'd you learn? You're starting You're first, Zach. No, 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 I got no. there first. Okay. Well, I, I'd say a couple things. One is running an ultra, especially Leadville, is definitely a team sport. I don't think there's really anybody out there that does it on their own, and that's not false modesty. It's just from going through it, you know that you got people that are pulling you through, and it's really exciting to see how excited they get about helping other people. And I've never paced somebody a 100-mile race, but I don't know why we've got Dan and Susan, my pacers, who keep coming back every single year, and it's not pulling teeth to get them there. So it really is a very interesting vibe and definitely a team sport. I guess another thing, too, is I don't know, Zach might argue with me on this, but I don't think I ever did a whole lot of lecturing of our kids. But I do think that it's safe to say that your kids are always watching. And uh, all three of our kids have run distance at least a half marathon or longer. Of course, Zach holds the distance record now at 102 miles. And uh, I think the last thing I'd say, and this is kind of Chris Russell advice, because you've, you've kind of pushed me on signing up for my first Leadville, too. And uh, I think just realizing you can do hard things and you have to try and the risk reward is kind of tilted in your favor if you if you go out there and and give it a try now what do you think zach yeah all the things you said i guess the one thing that i took away outside of finding out how much you actually lean on your pacers that was kind of new territory where it's (laughs) you really are a big baby and they just carry you the whole way but afterwards, it, I just noticed, especially with Chicago last weekend, it makes everything a little bit easier knowing that you can do that. Everything. If you've, you've had a tough day, we're like, well, I felt worse. I've definitely felt worse before. So it's just new new perspective once you're done. I think that's kind of what surprised yeah. me the most. Yeah, it kind of breaks your frame of reference. Yeah. So I'm going to call bullshit on you guys. I mean, your your father and son team here. There's always some weird dynamics, father and son dynamics. I had weird father and son dynamics with my father. So what was the weird part of doing this for you, Zach, with your dad? I don't know. I guess running, I've run with him enough, so it, it's not too weird. I mean, you know, it's on the trail weird. Waiting for each other to pee every five minutes is kind of weird. But for me, it's like when he's running around Leadville, 
half the time we're on the trail is he's talking to someone that he's already he already knows. They know him already. And to me, that's really right. weird to see. <laughs> yeah. Like everybody on the course knows each other at this point, right? Yeah. Yeah. Even yeah. people he doesn't know know him. So has he managed to resist giving you advice the whole time? Yeah, I think he got that out of the out of the way during our training run. And it's all good advice. But during the actual race, advice doesn't help you very much because it's usually too late. Because I know I do that with my kids, right? Or Actually, anybody who's near me while I'm running, I'll start giving out advice. And uh, that's probably not a great idea. He doesn't do that a whole lot. We run fairly similar, and I just kind of follow what he does, and it seems to work out for me. All right. All right. That's good. How about you, Eric? Anything weird about doing this with your kids? I think the thing that was weird was that it wasn't weird. Or maybe the thing that's weird is that it seems so natural, and Zach's He's just a lot of fun to run with. He was super positive out there with the other runners. I never saw him really go through any kind of deep funk at all. He, there was never any point that I saw where, like, he was thinking, well, I'm not going to make this. He's just kind of transitioned from son into, you know, just one of your other trail buddies. So we had a good time. Well, I don't know about you guys, but when I went out and did, for example, the, uh, you know, the Grand Canyon run with uh, Teresa, I felt it really brought us together. Here's how I would say this. It gave you another piece of a common foundation from which to know each other, right? And I think that's super powerful in any relationship. I would agree. I think we've got some good shared stories and we got the video to prove it. Yeah. So less of a stranger in a strange land. So what's next? You guys did Chicago last weekend. What's next for you, yeah. Zach? <laughs> I don't know. The only race I have on my schedule is Grandma's next June, but I suspect there's going to be other stuff stuck in there. I just don't know yet. So Are you so going to do Leadville uh, again? 20... You and I haven't talked about this. You're going to do Leadville again? Uh, I suspect I have to beat you at some point. That answers that question. Well, well, you know, Zach, at 28 years old, a 348 marathon, I mean, that's pretty. That's pitiful. I could get you down to, like, uh, probably a 315. And Eric knows how. Dude, but where's the fun in that? If you get down <laughs> there that fast that soon, then, then you don't get all those PRs in between. Yeah, yeah. It's fun to watch the scenery go by. So you can always get faster, right? Well, mm-hmm. I can't, but you can. <laughs> all right, guys. What else do we want to tell people? Let's see. I've, Zach is, I guess, publicly committed to Leadville, at least in the future, if not this next year. But I'll keep doing Leadville, and I've got Boston coming up in April. And today I just signed up for the Clearwater Marathon in January because I need to try and get a 2019 BQ. And then we'll do Grandma's together and hopefully Leadville again. Sign up for the Western States Lottery, start that all over again. Yeah. How's your hips doing, Eric? Doing well. It. Uh, I had four orthopedists tell me that torn hip labrums don't heal the stress fracture in the iliac, uh, that did heal up, but we were about an hour after the Chicago race, and I think my wife had asked me, you know, how's your hip feel? And it was the first time I'd thought about it all day. So for some reason, it just doesn't seem to be bothering me. So for all the drama that went into six months ago, thinking I'll never run a marathon again, it's amazing how quickly that all passes. It is, isn't it? It certainly is. And, and it's funny how that's the first place you go. Right. When you're when you get injured like that, you're like, I'm never going to run again. And then you put your head down and work through it. Yep. Yeah. Been there, done that. So. All right, guys. Quite an adventure. I would I would encourage people to go look at Eric's video. It's something special. Although I think you ran out. Your camera died on you late in the race. Right. It did. We were able to get a little help from somebody else that sent us uh, the finish. So uh, it turned out okay. Yeah. 
But those are the, the best part of the video is those, the nighttime parts, which is why I don't think I'll ever run 100 because I don't want to run down a mountain in the dark at night. Mm. But, uh, yeah. All right, guys. We'll let you go. Thanks for talking to me. Congratulations. It's something special. It was. Well, uh, thanks a lot, Chris. It was good chatting with you, and I guess we'll see you probably in Boston next time. Yeah, we'll have to find an adventure. You can come out and run uh, the uh, Groton Marathon with me on New Year's Eve if you want. I can do that, and you could sign up for Leadville. <laughs> I might start with an easier 100-miler. <laughs> go big. Yeah, go big or go home. I don't know. I don't, I'm not in a place in my life where I could do that right now, but uh, maybe. No, you got your hands we'll full. Yeah, you got your hands full right yeah. now. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks. I'm going to hang up. Hey, Chris. Bye. Okay, thanks Thank a lot. You. Take care. See ya. When it starts, when the music starts. Okay. All right. So is that right? Quiet on the set? I'm serious. I'm serious. Are we ready? Yeah. You yeah, beer drinkers don't have to worry wait, about beers. Here we go. Rolling. Exit, please. That is it, my friends. You have stumbled up and down rocky mountains in the dark at an at an altitude of fourteen thousand feet for thirty hours to the end of a training cycle and and yet another runner and live podcast, episode four three seven five in the can. I've got a seasonal recipe idea for you, and this makes sense because this time of year. 
There are lots of apples where I live. And you can only eat so many apples. But you can make applesauce. So here's what you do. Go, go preheat your oven to like, not a lot, like 200, 250, low heat. Good for drying pumpkin seeds too, if you have those pumpkin seeds. Go look up my pumpkin seed recipe on my website. It's the best pumpkin seed ever. Then you take those overripe, overabundant apples, as many as you want. You peel them, you core them, you cut them up into pieces. And you can either mix in some spices before or after you cook them. Your choice, cloves, nutmeg, cinnamon, you know. You know the deal, whatever you like. But no sugar. And this is where I'm going to depart from Grandma's recipe. No sugar, no butter. You can add a bit of coconut or other healthy oil if you want. That's okay. You can put these apples in the crock pot or the rice cooker or in a oven-safe crock or pan of some sort, covered up. Got to cover them so they don't dry out. And then you just put those in the oven. And you ignore them while they bake on low heat for a couple hours. And when some hours later you walk by the stove and you think, crap, those apples are still in there, that's when you take them out. And you stir them up because now it'll be applesauce. And if you just have to have sweetie in there, you can add some honey. So you mix that. You can either freeze it or mix it with your morning oatmeal, which is what I do. Use it as a condiment. It's healthy, and it's awesome, and it gets rid of all those apples. And since we're getting all seasonally Martha on you, here is another tip. So ever since I moved into the house I'm living in, I have had this problem. There is no fan in the master bathroom. And so in the summer, I can open the window. But in the colder months, I have trouble shaving because the mirror fogs up. I can't see myself. I can wipe it with a towel, but it just doesn't work well. So in this case, the Internet provided me with the useful trick, which I'm going to share with you. You take a little shampoo or anything like shampoo, and you spread it, spread it around on the part of the mirror that you don't want to fog up. Then you wipe it off. And now, believe it or not, that section will not fog, no matter how long of a post-run hot shower you indulge in. Very helpful. I learned something new. Old guy like me learns something new every day. So next up for me is the Thanksgiving 5K. And right after that, Mill City's Relay with my club. And then the sixth rendition of the Groton Marathon. I think it's the sixth. I'm pretty sure it's the sixth. And it looks like Frank and Brian. Brian was the other guy who originally ran it with me so many years ago. And maybe even Ryan will be healthy enough to run with me this year. We're going to do it again on December 31st in the morning, 9 o'clock. Meet us in West Groton, and we will run the Groton Marathon. End of season. I have to think of something to keep me interested. So for the next couple of months, and then we get back on the next cycle for my 20th Boston Marathon. And I think I'll have a party this year. I do have a great podcast story for you. Last week, this last week, I went to see Mike Duncan speak at the Harvard Bookstore on my way home from the city one night. And the smart kids in class will remember that Mike is the voice behind the History of Rome podcast. And Mike was one of the early podcasters, and the History of Rome was one of the first podcasts. Back in 2007, he started, coincidentally, around when I started Run Run Live. And Mike 
completed the arc of the history of Rome a few years back and has continued with a new history podcast called Revolutions, which is also quite good. And the history of Rome took him around 300 episodes, and it's still out there in podcast land if you want to go listen to it. And those of you who have been with me on this journey for a while might remember that I interviewed Mike on the show. He made the great mistake of mentioning that his wife, Brandy, was a half-marathoner. So, I had an excuse to talk history with him, and that would be episode 160 of the Run Run Live podcast. You can go look it up. It's in the archives on my website, runrunlib.com. So Tuesday night, when I popped out of the train at Harvard Square and walked over to the bookstore, I was surprised to see quite a large crowd there to see Mike. Standing room only. Overflow crowd. And they had sold out of his new book, The Storm Before the Storm, the beginning of the end of the Roman Republic, which he was there to speak on. There's also a link for that in the show notes. Since I was coincidentally waiting for Teresa to get out of class, I hung around with the overflow crowd, crouching in an aisle between biographies and gender studies, and listened to Mike talk over the loudspeakers. I waited out the 45-minute line of people waiting to shake his hand and get their book signed. And I introduced myself to Brandy, Mike's wife, and we chatted about running. She had she knew who I was, and she had just run the Marine Corps Marathon a couple days earlier, and we had a great chat. I gave Mike my congrats on his successful book launch. But talking to the people in the crowd, they weren't necessarily there for Mike's book, but they were there because of Mike's podcast. The voice had touched them. The power of the voice of Mike's podcast had made them invested in Mike in a unique way. Over the 10 years that Mike has been doing the podcast, we, his audience, have seen him, heard him, been with him on his journey. Starting as an unemployed history major, getting married, having two kids, and now publishing a real book. And he discovered that he could do what he loved from a room with a mic in Madison, Wisconsin, and make a living at it. He didn't need to ask for permission. He just started talking about something that was interesting to him. I'm very happy for his success. Mike found his tribe, and I saw his tribe. I saw them in Cambridge Tuesday night. Bow-tied, balding, tweed-suited, history students and teachers, and regular people waiting in line for a chance to shake the hand of the voice that had become a comfort and a friend to them in some deep, disembodied way. And that, for me, was a bit awe-inspiring and humbling. And the lessons here are manyfold. First, of course, is to take action and do what you love, and you will find your tribe. Do it consistently, and you may find success as well, however you define that. Another lesson closer to home is that your tribe is at once a great privilege and at, as well a humbling responsibility to have written the words and produced the voice that creates this investment from your tribe. Just by doing what you love, it's a great responsibility. And we all have our tribes. We have this responsibility for our tribes. 
So what are you going to do today to make the investment your tribe has in you worth it and honorable? So for myself, I'm humbled. I am truly grateful. And thank you for joining me on my adventure and on my journey. And I'll see you out there. And then he thought that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed so hard it made him cry. So you put these chunks of apples in an oven safe. There's Buddy. Buddy doesn't like it when I do things without him.